Our passage today is Matthew, the 28th chapter, starting in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, we gather together today, and it's a good day for those of us who are part of the Fremantle Church on the regular. Because today we are having, after this gathering, our congregational conversation. And I thought it would be good to kind of remind us what our path is as those who are called by God to be here as the Fremantle Church. And so let me say this, you've probably heard over and over again, if you've been with us any amount of time, that Fremantle Church is a place that you can belong before you believe. And that's definitely true. We want to be a place that is welcoming, a place that is for, a place that will give you a place to discover and journey what God has for you and what he has done for you and who you are in him. But we also recognize that often in our midst, there are those who are with us that don't quite believe, or there are those who have believed at some times, but they have stopped believing. Or maybe you're here and right now, there's a lot of it you do believe, but there's bits of it that you're just not sure you can trust anymore. That's the reason why we say you can belong before you believe. But a few weeks ago, I reminded us and reminded myself that we don't want you just to belong before you believe. We actually want you to move from belonging to believing that you can believe that the things that we talk about, the things that we sing about are the truth, that they remind us that Jesus did come, that he has brought salvation to us. And we want you to believe that. And as you believe that, we know that God begins to transform us and change our hearts and our minds, that we become more and more like him. And in that, then we move from just believing to becoming the church of God. And then as we become the church of God, as we spend time with one another and we go out, we be that church, that body. But sometimes we slip back into just belonging until we believe. And that's quite all right. And that's why I wanted to preach this sermon today from this passage. Because see, I I think that those who are outside of gatherings like this and those of us who are inside gatherings like this every Sunday, we can sometimes put our own spin on what we're really on about. We can begin to think, well, if you look at certain places, that church is about promoting some political point of view. That might happen, but that's not what church is about. Uh, We might look at the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 27, verse 9, and say, well, this maybe is what the church is about. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for it is well it, for its welfare for in its welfare you will find your welfare for thus saith the Lord of hosts that we're just about making sure that the place that we're at is better 
Well, yes, that's true, but that's not all of it. Some of us might think that it's just about getting together and singing songs and giving a little bit of money, taking a bit of bread and juice at some point and walking out. Some of us might think that it's about doing social services, proclaiming something. But that's not quite it. When Jesus was ascending into heaven, he called his 11 disciples together and he said to them, this charge, this path, this is what I want you to be on about. And so for those of us who are here and we're committed to Fremantle Church, in all the things that we do, in our own vision statement, it comes down to this. And so it's important for us to remember it. And if you're here and you're trying to think, do I like Fremantle Church? Is it a place that I could hang out and be with? Just know that this is what we're on about. This is what we want to be doing. And if you're here trying to figure out this Jesus thing, let me tell you, this is what we're on about. (laughs) This is what he's doing. So let me take just a minute and pray. And then we'll jump into what Jesus has told us is our path. Father God, as we come to this passage today, we just ask that you will um, remind us of what you have challenged us to be about. That you've called us and commissioned us. That you've sent us out. Remind us that we can't do it on our own, but that we need you. And thank you. Thank you, unbelievably entrusting us with your word, with your action, with your truth, and with your love. Jesus, it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Let's just look at it again real quick. Jesus says this, he calls them forward, and the first thing that we recognize is he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So just like we have kind of notions of what the church or this gathering of people is about, then we also have notions or ideas of what Jesus is about or who he is. Some people might just feel like Jesus was this great teacher, this really good guy among a pantheon of other great teachers, and that he's given us some things that might help our lives go better. That's not what Jesus claims about himself here. Some of us might think that he's the Messiah. There were those who were thinking that he's the Messiah of Israel, that he's going to restore Israel, that he was going to make them great and big, that he was going to take over the world so that Israel could rule. But but that's not what he says here. Uh, Some who maybe were even following Jesus at that day saw him as a, a zealot, someone who was like going to overthrow governments. You hear that today somewhat, too, sometimes. But that's not what he says here. That's not who he is. So whether you think he's just a good teacher or whether you think he's a social justice warrior or whether you think he's a conservative pundit or whether you think whatever you want to put on him, know that this is what Jesus says about himself. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. How can he say that? Well, let's look at what Paul says about him. Just as a reminder, in Colossians chapter 1. This is what he says about Jesus. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is saying here that all authority is given to me under heaven and earth because I, in fact, am the embodiment. I am God. The one who is steadfast in his loving pursuit for us. The one who knows us before the foundation of the world. The one who is created and holds all things together. The one who says, I will come for you because I long to have you and my love for you is steadfast. That this God that is out there that is so magnificent that it's hard for us to even hold, Jesus says, I am he. And what I have done shows forth exactly who he is. And so before I go and before I tell you what I want you to be on about, know that all authority rests in me. And I have the power to send you. So when we hear these words, they're not just a mere suggestion from a really good teacher even though he was a really good teacher. They're not just mere hopes and dreams. They are, in fact, the word of God coming to us, saying, I have all power and authority in heaven and in earth, and I'm giving you this mission to go. Do what? To go. To not sit idly by, to not stay still, but to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To go and to make disciples. First thing is this. To be able to make disciples, you have to be a disciple. You can't make somebody what you're not. I mean, we can make cakes and we're not cakes, But if I want to make a good human being, I've got to be a good human being to make that person a good human being. Because I might say all the right things, but if all my actions are bad, they're going to see my actions a lot more than they see my words. And sure as shooting, they're going to be bad. You've got to be a disciple in order to be able to make disciples. That means you have to fall in love with Jesus. You've got to recognize that he has all power and authority, that my life should be a life that is submitted underneath the truth of who he is, and that it should take all the true things about who I am, all those subjective things that I hold to be reality, and I should bring them underneath him so that he can look at them and say, this is truth, this is truth, this is not, it needs to be done away with, and this I will transform so it lines up with the truth of who I am. It means we have to be willing to walk a life that is constantly moving towards what is Jesus calling me to do? Who is he and what has he done and what is he transforming me into? That means there are places in my life that I will find out 10 years from now that we're wrong and that I need to repent of. 
Uh, let's not go that far. Today, I'm sure there will be something that I'll realize that my heart has turned on itself and I need to repent of. There is also those moments where I will be called to forgive. That there are places in my heart where I'm holding grudges against those who hurt me that I desperately need to let go of so that I can then walk in love towards them. That the first thing that we have to do is be a disciple in order to make disciples. But there's a danger in this for us because we can often slip into the mindset of the market. We can decide that, well, if I want to make something, then there must be a formula to make it, a recipe to get it done that way. And so if I do these eight steps, then I can get them from point A, where they're not a disciple, to point B, where they are a disciple. Our Christian walk does not work that way. Our Christian walk moves us from A to Z, all within the grace of God. That he comes to us in our particularness and how he's created us to be so that we can hear his words of love to us. And so those of us who are disciples, who are working to walk along with those who we want to see become disciples, we cannot stand at them and say, well, you've got to experience this way and it's got to move this way and it's got to go this way. What we do is we raise up what God has done and the love that he has and we allow him through Holy Spirit to begin to transform their life and speak into them. Look. When I was younger, I loved Bruce Willis. The only thing about me that looks like Bruce Willis is my bald head. But when I was younger, I wanted to be exactly like Bruce Willis. I don't know why. I thought he was cool. And so I changed different types of clothes that I wore because Bruce Willis wore certain types of clothes. I drank certain wine coolers. Why would you ever drink a wine cooler? Because Bruce Willis advertised those wine coolers. I even went as far as to buy his ill-fated album, The Return of Bruno, which is a terrible compilation of classic music because I wanted to be, and I sang them. Because I wanted to be like him. I became a disciple of Bruce Willis. When we see Jesus and who he is, we move our lives in a way that we become like him. And as we become like him, then we become the aroma of God, the perfume. Think of this. If you are in Christ, you're the perfume of God. And in being the perfume of God, there are those, 2 Corinthians tells us, that smell it and they go, that's what I want. That's a beautiful smell. And then there are those who smell it and they go, that is disgusting. That's like an old gutted fish and I don't want to have anything to do with it. So when you're repugnant, know that it might not be you, it might be God on you. Most likely it's you. Because I know it's me. But when you smell of life, you draw those who are life to you. We have to be a disciple and then we have to help folks discover that they too are a disciple. We can't make them. God makes them the disciple. But we do live our lives in such a way that we can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Come see what this looks like. 
Come spend time seeing what can happen. And not from some practical method that this is the best worldview out there, but because the one who has all authority in heaven and earth says, I know you and love you. And I've come for you. So he says to us, in all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let me just, just as an aside, I love this part because it reminds us of the Trinitarian nature of the one that we serve. It reminds us that the one who loves us and is pursuing us in his steadfast love has always and will always be in community. It reminds us that this is not about the individual. Yes, it's about the particularness of who you are and how God has created you. But it is so much more than me just getting saved. It is larger in that it impacts all that are around us. When, in my particularness, I discover that God has loved me and bought me with a price and has brought me into his kingdom, then and only then am I able to shed his love and spread it in such a way that it calls others to himself. And it's because we do it, not just by ourselves, but we do it in community with one another. That's why we gather together. That's why we have to have one another. Because trust me, and I speak from personal experience, I will so easily turn in on myself and want what I only want and not what the Father wants. I will so easily turn on myself and think the good that I want to see achieved is the most important good that needs to be achieved and forget that that good is actually about benefiting me than about giving glory to God, the one who is all-powerful and has all authority and in bringing about his reconciliation of all things, as Colossians tells us. And then he says, what are we to do then? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, Jesus sums up what he's commanded to us in this. Someone said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to them, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the commands and prophets, all the law and prophets are summed up in those things. That we're called and we're going out and making disciples, the best way to do that is to love. To love God, first of all, with everything that we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's nothing that we can hold back from that love. God comes in and he evades our personality in such a way that we can't help but return it to him in this loving devotion. Some of us here need to be reminded of that. Some of us need to be reminded that we should be caught off guard by the love that we have for God because of the love that he has for us. My wife and I have been married uh, 27 years. Yeah. And there are moments during days where we're just living life and walking together. And our lives are busy and we've got a full house and we've got lots of things going. And we'll climb into bed at night and we'll say, I love you, and we'll nod off to sleep. And in the morning, I'll wake up and we'll say, hey, good, you know, good morning, you sleep well? No, I never sleep well. But then there are times where I see her walk by and I think, Phew. 
What a lucky man I am. And then there are times that I walk by and I think, what a lucky woman she is. <laughs> We're caught off guard with how we could have this affection and love for another person because ultimately I'm selfish. We should be caught off guard by God's steadfast love for us in such a way that every moment of every day is spent in some form or fashion, whether in word or deed, in thought, in emotion, in all of our energy to say, yes, and I love you too. But it's not just that. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's turning towards them and saying, I want you to know the steadfast love of God in his pursuit. And so I will stand with you when you are in trouble and I will walk with you when you need to be walked with and I will celebrate with you when you need to be celebrated. And though we might not agree on everything, I'm still going to be present. That I don't have to have you agree with all that I agree with, but I'll still be present. And you can belong before you believe. But I want you to know that God knows you better than you know yourself. And he has so much more for you. Not just in this life, but into the life to come. And doesn't that seem daunting, really? It does. When we look out at the world and we look at it ourselves, we very much like Paul in 2 Corinthians, uh, in 2 Thessalonians, where he says this idea, or 2 Corinthians, where he says this idea that we are the aroma of God. At the end of that, he says this Who is capable of doing this? Listen to what Jesus says. As he goes, this is what you're on about. This is, this is what I want you to be doing. I want you to love God and I want you to love others. I want you to make disciples by being a disciple and living your life with them. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. I have empowered you. I have given you Holy Spirit. And I am here walking with you, residing with you. You are actually in me. Your whole identity rests with who I am. And I am the one accomplishing these things. And yes, it is beyond your capability. But behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so when times get tough, we know that Jesus is with us, that he is walking. When times are good, we know that Jesus is with us and he is walking us towards completion to glorification, towards an understanding that God and his steadfast love will pursue us to the end of the world and then remake us into what we always were supposed to be. How amazing is that? He is with us until the very end of the age. And so, as we walk this path, to do the things that God has called us to do as Fremantle Church. We walk knowing that we're not alone. We're not alone because it's us doing it together. We're not alone because Jesus is with us. And that's what we're on about. Perhaps you've noticed today that while I've been preaching, I've had to put on and off my glasses to be able to read. Because if I tried to do it without my glasses, I wouldn't be able to read because my eyes are getting weaker. But you'll maybe notice that I haven't worn them all the time because I've lost an earpiece along the way. And so they, when I put them on, they kind of are 
crooked. My daughter's, in particular, Rose is laughing at me all the time because I like how they broke is an interesting story. One of my daughters was in my room and she was in my bed and we were just kind of talking and I got up and I thought it would be fun to show her just how much I love her, how much I appreciate her. And so I dove all 120 Ks of me onto our bed to grab her. And as I did that, I knew I was not going to hit her because I had aimed properly, but I also didn't want to hit my head or anything like that. So I kind of put my hands up like this. And as I put my hands up like this and I landed and hit the soft pillows, my arm hit my glasses and my glasses. And I kind of was like, "Uh oh, something happened. And I took them off and the airpiece was like, and I was like, oh, maybe I can teak. Oh, no, I can't fit. But, but I need my glasses to be able to read, so I have to have them to see what's going on. Oftentimes, as we are following Christ, in our over-exuberance, we will do stupid things that cause offense and break people. We've got to be careful about that, folks. We love God and we love others. Not at the detriment in turning them away from the sweet aroma that is God. We, that's his work. But we always go towards grace and mercy and justice and truth. And we'll let God figure out. Because too often we'll break things. So if you're walking with us as Fremantle Church, understand we're going to get exuberant about some things and we're going to screw up. We're going to break things. We're going to mess up and all our earpieces are going to fall off. But we have to have it to be able to see God. For whatever reason, God in his glory and majesty said, I want a gathered group of people. <laughs> I want a gathered group of broken glasses to be the lens that shows forth my love to the world so that others can see it. So aren't you grateful that we're just a bunch of ragamuffins that are broken? but can be bold in saying, God loved me, and so I want to love the world. Let us be the lens in all its broken glory to allow God to shine forth what he is doing in the world to call those to himself and bring about new life to them. Let me pray. Father God, you are good, and all you do is good. We love and worship you. We thank you for calling us to be your body, your church, and for sending us out on a mission not to convert people, but to make disciples of people. We let you do that work of changing their hearts. We can't do that. But we want them to become a follower of you. We want them to learn from you. Let us continue to learn from you. Father, it's in your name, Jesus, we pray this. Amen.